Welcome to the Mama Theologians podcast. Mama Theologians is an online motherhood ministry on mission to revive spiritual growth in the midst of motherhood. We offer our devotional and narrative podcast episodes to further equip mothers in theological study, biblical literacy, and spiritual formation. We pray that God will use these offerings for His glory and that He will revive and deepen your spiritual growth in Jesus. I'm Rachel Lynn Lawrence, the founder of Mama Theologians and your podcast host. I'm a mom just like you who is clinging to Jesus and growing more in love with Him in the midst of motherhood. You're listening to our fourth Advent study episode, which will serve as a recap of week four and will conclude our entire Advent study. While we will be referencing our free Advent study, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, marveling at the magnitude of the Incarnation, and we will be referencing our readings from the book on the Incarnation and our scripture readings, if you haven't began our study, I truly believe that this episode will still be beneficial to you. If you'd like to still receive our free study guide, sign up for free today at mamatheologians.com advent, and it will be sent to your inbox. So today, the day after Christmas and beyond, we are reflecting upon our Savior, Jesus. Let's begin in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for the celebration of Christmas. God, we thank you that we are able to celebrate that you sent your son, Jesus. You sent the word. You sent the one who created in the first place to come and live as a fully man and stay fully God into our world so that Jesus could live a perfect life and that he could redeem us and that he could reconcile us once again to you. God, we're so thankful for this celebration of Christmas. God, will you help us as we learn today and as we discuss and as we reflect upon who Jesus is, what he has accomplished and what he has yet to do. God, I pray that you will take this message and that you will divide it however you rightly should to each and every person who is listening. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen. So last week we discussed the incarnation. This act of Jesus becoming fully man yet staying fully God. What we celebrate at Christmas. And so we prayerfully talked about why we should marvel at the incarnation. And why we should rightly display a heart posture of awe and wonder at our holy God. And at his miraculous plan for salvation. Jesus. So this week, we are going to talk more about what Jesus has done and what he will do and the reason why these things that he did and what he will do are important because of really who he is, fully God and fully man. In fancy theological terms, we are discussing Christology, the study of the person of Christ, and soteriology, the study of the work of Christ. 
This isn't meant to be an entire theological primer or thesis on all of these topics, which are big, but merely a way to engage our minds to transfer important foundational theological knowledge into a reverent awe and heart posture of Jesus and at Jesus, our Savior. Our passages in the Bible reading plan reflected on Christ's redemption, salvation, exaltation, promise to the nations, and future restoration for believers, namely what Christ has done and what he is yet to do. So let's begin by reflecting on Christ's redemption. So redemption means, and it refers to, a Christian's deliverance from sin. The passage that we read this week was Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. At precisely the right time, the time when God ordained and sovereignly knew was the time to send his son into our world to redeem us, Jesus came. From our worldly point of view, we can even now see what some of the events were that led up to Jesus' coming and how God positioned and used those worldly events to help spread the gospel and make it more accessible for Jesus to come. At just the right time. This really reminds me of Laura Beaver's essay that we released on our podcast this past week, um, When the Time Came, and it just... So reflects it, but God knew and used those worldly events to help spread the gospel and make it accessible for Jesus to come. Like how Alexander the Great lived before Jesus and created Roman roadways, the Hellenistic culture, and spread the Greek language all throughout the known world. God prepared the way. And so mama, God knows the right time for Jesus to return. He is still sovereign over any of our world's events and he will use it. And so on a different note, in the verse in Galatians, it reads again, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law. So just as Athanasius in the book we are reading for our study defends this point that Jesus was fully man, that he had to be fully man so that he could break the curse that man was under. Jesus did this so that we would have adoption as sons or daughters. And he is referring to legal adoption of sons here. The legal adoption of sons for the purpose of obtaining the due inheritance that a firstborn son would. Jesus welcomes us to enter into his rightful inheritance. This inheritance starts with the inheritance of the Holy Spirit. God sending the Spirit, 
the third person of the Trinity of our God, who is three in one, into our hearts to live inside us. And the Spirit cries out, Abba, Father, as we become free from sin and the just punishment for sin, death and eternal separation from God, we become children of God. Can we just pause there? How often have we heard this, that we are children of God, but haven't allowed it to really sink in? We haven't allowed the fact that when we accept Jesus as our Savior, when we receive the Holy Spirit into our lives, we are now children of God. We have entered into Jesus' inheritance. All because of what Jesus has done. Living a perfect life, defeating sin, resisting the devil, dying in our place, atoning for our sins, raising back to life, ascending to the Father, sending the Holy Spirit, the list goes on, and who Jesus is. It's because of who he is. Let's thank Jesus for that today. Let us reflect upon our adoption as children of God. Let's praise God for this. Now we're going to reflect on Christ's salvation and justification. So here's a little basis about what salvation means. Salvation. Jesus brought about salvation by atoning for our sins, by paying the penalty for our sins, by becoming the ultimate and perfect sin sacrifice. And he was the perfect sacrifice, the perfect one to atone for our sins because of who he is, fully God and fully man, and what he had accomplished. And so the term justification is also something that we're reflecting on. So what does justification even mean? Alastair McGrath, in his textbook of Christian theology, states that justification is a change in legal status in the sight of God and a believer's ultimate assurance of acquittal before God, despite their sinfulness. Justification, according to John Calvin, a popular popular theologian who was involved in the reformation of the church, wrote this in the mid-1500s, quote, To be justified in God's sight is to be reckoned as righteous in God's judgment and to be accepted on account of that righteousness. The person who is justified by faith is someone who, apart from the righteousness of works, has taken hold of the righteousness of Christ through faith. 
and having been clothed with it, appears in the sight of God, not as a sinner, but as a righteous person. Therefore, justification is to be understood simply as the acceptance by which God received us unto his favor as righteous people. We say that it consists of the remission of sins and the imputation of the righteousness of Christ. Believers are not righteous in themselves, but on account of the communication of the righteousness of Christ through the imputation, something to be noted carefully, Our righteousness is not in us, but in Christ. We possess it only because we participate in Christ. In fact, with him, we possess all riches. End quote. So John Calvin asserts that justification is given to us as a gift through the union with Christ. Let's read an example of justification in God's word. Titus 3, 4 through 7. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Salvation comes through Jesus by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? Salvation and justification are so amazing. Um, And we're going to have to talk about them more and have episodes upon episodes of just each of those. But... The next portion of our study that we reflected on this week was reflecting on Christ's exaltation. So Christ was exalted. He was lifted high. He was exalted. I think it's easy to find Jesus, especially if you've grown up in church like I have, to be plain, a given, or a routine. It's easy to lose our wonder at this man, God, when we've heard about him our whole life. It is easy to even hear the name of Jesus and not quite be affected. And can I be honest? That can happen to me if I'm not prayerfully careful often. Yet, when my own heart becomes unaware of the magnitude, unaware of the glorious holiness of Jesus, I can cease to worship him with my life and I can begin to ever the more navel gaze, to look and focus solely at myself, my circumstances of life, how my children have been behaving, how I feel I measure up as a mother, etc. And hear me out. Our life and where God has positioned us, the roles he has given us are important. The daily mundane things matter, but they eternally can matter when we maintain a right heart posture that is focused on a right awe and marveling at Jesus. Priscilla Shire a popular Christian author and speaker, one of my favorites, she regularly proclaims this beautiful description of how God's word shows us who Jesus is in an overarching theme in every book of the Bible. And while I'm really no Priscilla Shire, 
I want us to just reflect on Christ's exaltation by learning more about who he is. And so I'm taking these words from Priscilla Shire as she has explained the overarching theme about who Jesus is from every single book of the Bible. And I want to proclaim that for you now. First, I just want to pray. Dear God, Holy Spirit, will you use these descriptions of Jesus to tune our hearts to you? Will you help us to exalt Jesus in our hearts? God, he is already exalted, but will you help our heart posture exalt him in our hearts and our lives so that we may worship your son Jesus and that we may marvel at him more today? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. In the Old Testament, these are Priscilla Shire's words, in the Old Testament. In Genesis, he is the breath of life. In Exodus, he is the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, you'll get to see him as your high priest. In Numbers, he's the fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he is Israel's guide. In Joshua, he's salvation's choice. In Judges, he is Israel's guard. In Ruth, he'll be the kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, you'll see him as your trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he is sovereign. In Ezra, he is the true and faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, you'll see him as the rebuilder of walls and of lives. In Esther, you'll see him as courage. In Job, he'll be the timeless redeemer. In Psalms, he is the morning song. In Proverbs, he is our wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, he's a time and a season. In Song of Solomon, you'll see him as the lover's dream. In Isaiah, he is the prince of peace. In Jeremiah, he's the weeping prophet. In Lamentations, he's the cry for Israel. In Ezekiel, he's the call from sin. In Daniel, he's the stranger in the fire. In Hosea, he is the forever faithful. In Joel, he's the spirit's power. In Amos, he is the strong arms that will carry you. In Obadiah, he's the Lord our Savior. In Jonah, you'll see him as the great missionary. In Micah, he is the promise of peace. In Nahum, he's our strength and our shield. In Habakkuk and Zephaniah, he brings revival. In Haggai, he restores that which was lost. In Zechariah, he is our fountain. In Malachi, he's the son of righteousness, rising with healings in his wings. In the New Testament, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he's not just God, now he's the Messiah. In Acts, he's the reigning fire from heaven. In Romans, he's the grace of God. In Corinthians, he's the power of love. In Galatians, he is the freedom from the curse of sin. In Ephesians, he's our glorious treasure. In Philippians, he's the servant's heart. In Colossians, he's God in the Trinity. In Thessalonians, he's our calling king. In Timothy, Titus, and Philemon, he's our mediator and faithful pastor. In Hebrews, he's the everlasting courage. In James, he's the one who heals the sick. In First and Second Peter, he is our faithful shepherd. In John and Jude, he is the lover coming for his bride. In the Revelation, in the very end, when it's all over and said and done, he is and will always be the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the Lamb of God, the great I am, our Savior forever. Jesus. Let's thank Jesus for who 
He is. Let's exalt him in our hearts today. So our Bible reading plan transitions from reflecting on what Christ has done to reflecting on what he has yet to complete, moving from salvation history to salvation future. As Christians, we live in this period of time that is already but not yet. There are many aspects of our Christian life that are already but not yet. In an article on Desiring God, Dr. David Briones, a professor at Westminster Theological Seminary, explains this already but not yet phenomenon. So, quote, For now, Christians live in a great theological tension. We already possess every spiritual blessing in Christ, but we do not experience the fullness of these blessings yet. In one sense, we are already adopted, redeemed, sanctified, and saved. In another, these experiences are not yet fully ours. Underneath this theological and practical tension are the two comings of Christ. In his first coming, he inaugurated the last days. In his second coming, he will complete them. In the meantime, we live for now in the overlap of the ages. End quote. This is good news, Mama. This world that is still so broken, our bodies and minds and hearts that are still marred by sin, Jesus will restore. Jesus will make all things new. He is still coming. There will be his perusia, his second advent, his second coming. And we Christians are to be ready. We are to be ready for his return. It will be beautiful and glorious for those who love the, love him. We are to be a light that shines for Jesus, that illuminates our dark world. Our lives are to be the very testimony for God's mercy and grace and love and hope. We are to display this good news to our children, our families, our friends, our neighbors, and beyond. He is coming. May our lives reflect that truth today. When we talk about what Jesus has yet to do in his second coming, we venture into eschatology, which has been explained as a discourse about the end, the end of an individual's existence on earth, all the way to the end of this present age in the world as we know it. The last book of the Bible, Revelation, is a book full of prophecy and eschatology. In it, we see glimpses of Jesus give a miraculous heavenly vision about what is to come to a man named John. And I want to close by reading a few chapters of Revelation so that God's word can orient our hearts to the magnitude of Jesus. In Revelation 21, 1-6, we see the glorious ending that we are awaiting. John is explaining what he is seeing in this heavenly vision. A new heaven and a new earth. 
Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. As we read in Revelation in our Bible reading plan this week, can we now exalt Christ above all else in our lives? May we begin to even now echo what the heavenly creatures and what all creatures in heaven and on earth and under the earth and all that is in the sea will will proclaim over Jesus. They will proclaim, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Revelations 4.8 Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Revelation 4.11 Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your Word, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, that you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Revelation 5, 9 through 10. Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Revelation 5, 11. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Revelation 5.13 Let's worship and praise Jesus. Our Savior has come and He is coming. The best is truly yet to come. Let's worship Him now. Mamas, we are in our last episode for our Advent study. This was our first study for Mama Theologians. 
We just launched our ministry November 1st, 2021, and we are so grateful for those of you who have listened or who have downloaded our free study guide. If this was beneficial to you, we would be so honored to have you leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. These tremendously help other mothers find our podcast and ministry. We invite you to also continue listening in to our podcast and enjoying our monthly devotional newsletters, which you can sign up for at the link in our show notes. Our newsletters and Instagram are the best place to hear about what is coming next for Mama Theologians. So speaking of what co- what's coming up next, at the start of our new year, we are beginning our Mama Theologians essay and episode series on studying the Bible called A Lamp Unto My Feet, Abiding in Light of God's Word to Illuminate Our Lives. So maybe you're planning on becoming consistent with Bible reading this year, or you're desiring to dive deeper into God's Word than you've ever done in the past. Maybe you're very unsure why you should even read the Bible, or you have no idea where to begin. Maybe you desire to learn more about exegesis or the foundations of inductive Bible study, which we are going to be talking about all of those things. So whether you are a beginner or a seminary scholar, we are excited to offer this series for you. Sign up for our email newsletters, which are honestly the best way to help support our ministry, to be in the know about our upcoming free Bible study resources that will also be available to you to download. So before I forget, our music for our Christmas podcast series, which just released and also includes Christmas essays from our Mama Theologians that are still so applicable even though Christmas has passed. Our music is composed and played by our talented mama theologian, Kylie Dunn. And so mama, to close this Advent series, may you wait well with deeper and deeper understanding and awe of what Jesus has done and what he will do. Let's marvel at the magnitude of our God. O come, O come, Emmanuel.